I'm really excited today to introduce uh, Rabbi Josh Winston. Uh, for those of you who don't um, maybe are new to Blue Ocean or are not located in the Ann Arbor Ypsilanti area, we meet in person at the so in the social hall of a kind of a unique in the country, I think, situation, which is a shared building by St. Clair's Episcopal Church and Temple Beth Emmet, a Reformed congregation. So we feel, and, and Rabbi Josh is the rabbi at Temple Beth Emmet, also known as TBE for insiders. I think Blue Oceaners feel a real sense of um, gratitude, uh, both to St. Clair's and Temple Beth Emmet, because we began in 2015, we, we were um, refugees of a sort, uh, religious refugees, immigrants from non-affirming uh, Christianity. And um, Temple Beth Emmet and uh, St. Clair's agreed to take us on, you know, uh, like in very short order, like within a month's time, um, allowing us to use the uh, social hall. It's a lovely, lovely space in, in their building. And uh, over the years, we've gotten to work together with uh, TBE and St. Clair's for doing various projects, as you probably picked up in the in the announcements today. So it's really a delight to have Rabbi Josh with us. We, well, he may also be known to Blue Oceaners for his, uh, by now, I think, almost viral or famous um, shofar that he did during COVID, where he went around town and different places in in Ann Arbor, kind of iconic places, uh, blowing the shofar. So uh, you're going to love Rabbi Josh. So take it over, please. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, great to be with you. Yeah, <laughs> that that um, that shofar um, uh, video uh, has has definitely made the rounds. If if you Google my name, I think it's the first thing that comes up now. So not a bad thing to to, to start out people's research on you. Uh, thank you so uh, so much for asking me to to be here for uh, for your interest in. Uh, uh, in the subject that we're talking about, um, and uh, and for work that 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 I've done in the area, um, uh, it um, uh, has been a um, I think a very uh, profound journey for me personally uh, over the last few years as I um, have come to understand uh, migration uh, in 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 really um, for, for me definitely new ways. Um, uh, uh, in terms of uh, meeting folks uh, here uh, in Michigan, meeting folks on our on our southern border, meeting folks um, in Central America, um, and hearing stories of migration and and what's leading uh, leading folks to to, to come north. Um, uh, when uh, when. Uh, Ken and Emily reached out. They they asked me to talk about this idea of welcoming the stranger uh, in the Jewish tradition, and uh, and again, I was just happy, so happy to do so. I I, I think I'll start though with um, with with a bit of a, a story. Um, and actually, uh, Emily mentioned that she grew up in Indianapolis. So did I. Uh, I was born in Indianapolis, lived there until I was eight, and Rabbi Sandy Sasso was my rabbi actually. Uh, so it was. Uh, Great to have her as as a part of my part of my upbringing and and uh, and maybe some of, of her wisdom uh, uh, is a is a part of me now still. Uh, um, when 
when growing up as, as a Jew, uh, and in particular in the reform movement, uh, that uh, uh, the the sort of emphasis on social justice is is uh, quite prevalent in in the way that we talk and um, and the way that um, that our rabbis uh, preach. It was really foundational to Reform Judaism uh, for for much of the 20th century and and still is uh, for sure. Uh, as a as a high school student, I, I remember just feeling a a, a sense of of gratitude and pride in the sorts of justice-oriented texts that uh, that our rabbis uh, had had written and conceived of, based upon based upon their experience of the Hebrew Bible and the prophets in particular, um, and uh, and and I think to a great extent that that was sort of my entire um, sort of connection to justice was the sort of intellectual idea of justice. And um, you know, over the course of of uh, about about a year, a few years back, um, I was confronted with with opportunities uh, that that meant um, that that I had to make a choice of of whether um, whether the uh, the texts were just going to be rhetorical, um, uh, were going to be something I could be proud of, uh, or or if they were going to be something that I would in fact, let really guide my my being and my way, um, and uh, and that um, that question and and then my answer of well, if if you're not going to get involved in in um, in this um, uh, in this issue of of migration uh, uh, right now, which which to me uh, still feels very much so as as, as maybe uh, you know the most Jewish of of um, of justice issues uh, uh, out there at the moment. Um, if you're not going to actually get involved, Josh, you 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 just need to stop talking about this stuff. Because here's an opportunity, and it, and yeah, maybe hard, um, but um, but you can't talk about justice and not do justice, and not engage in justice work, uh, that, that, that's not okay. And so, um, uh, I helped organize a, a rally down in Texas at, uh, Tornillo, one of the first, um, one of the first, uh, places where, where our government was holding children, uh, really just out practically in the middle of the desert, uh, in tents. Um, and, uh, and the journey has taken me from Tornillo to Miami to Honduras and Guatemala, and, uh, and I'm planning on going back to Honduras uh, next month um, uh, as, uh, as I stand in solidarity with, um, with folks uh, on the ground, uh, environmental activists who are um, who are jailed uh, for standing up uh, and saying, you know, we don't want our land to be um, to be sold off to the highest bidder. We don't want our rivers uh, plugged up. We don't want our we don't want mines that are that are going to pollute our environment. Um, uh, we we have to do something. And uh, the what what has become increasingly clear to me, and of course, migration happens for lots of reasons, uh, and certainly, you know, over the course of human history, has happened for 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 many reasons. Uh, uh, we, I think, don't talk about climate refugees enough today. Uh, 
Um, but uh, uh, that that is upon us um, uh, in very real ways that if you talk to, or in my experience, I should say, that um, uh, talking to, uh, to folks uh, in, in, in small villages in Honduras, who, uh, who when, when, I was, when I was there two years ago, uh, uh, said to me, um, the beans that I've grown, I, I had this conversation with a, he appeared to be in his probably 60s, uh, 60 year old man. Uh, he said, the beans that I've grown all of my life from childhood, they won't grow anymore. We don't get the kind of rain that we used to get. They just, we can't grow it anymore. Uh, uh, these folks are, are dealing in, in profound ways with the effects of climate change. Uh, and, and it's causing, uh, it's causing uh, migration uh, to happen. Um, so um, the, the question that, that I think I'm left with as a religious person is, well, then what's my responsibility uh, to, to these folks uh, when they show up at, at, you know, my doorstep, our doorstep, what's our responsibility to, to people who are like us and not like us, right? Who are us and not us, uh, uh, who are, um, who are seeking refuge. Um, and, uh, before we, we head into, into the text, because I, um, one of the things I said to, to Ken was, was I'd really like to do a, a sort of text study with, with folks, not just a, a sermon. Um, uh, and, but I'll say one thing, because I, I didn't bring this text with me, that, that there's a debate sort of in the, in the Talmud, and I'll explain a little bit more what, what the Talmud is in a few, few moments, but an essential rabbinic text where, where the rabbis are sort of uh, saying, you know, either that, that the, the commandment, the mitzvah to, uh, to care for the stranger, to love the stranger, really, uh, appears uh, either 36 or 46 times in, in, uh, in Torah, in the five books of Moses. Uh, over and over again, uh, uh, we, we read more than any other commandment, in fact, in all of the Hebrew Bible, in all of, uh, in all of the, the five books of Moses, more than any other commandment we read, uh, uh, be kind to the orphan, to the widow, to the stranger. And in, in ancient Israelite society, right, these are not just, you know, they're not only specifics in terms of orphan, widow, stranger, but these are people who had, uh, who had no power uh, in the society in which they were finding themselves in, right? Um, uh, so much of power in, in the ancient world and um, uh, uh, came through the land ownership of the father. So that's why... Uh, that's why a, an orphan or a widow or a stranger, right, who, who potentially could not own land um, uh, would, would be um, completely curtailed. There is really no, no option for them. And so how we, how we engage uh, with, with, with folks, right, and now we can, I think, sort of remove those, those, those ideas, orphan, widow, stranger, and think more broadly about how we engage with people in our society who, who society makes powerless uh, um, speaks to who we are. I think probably more than, than, than almost anything else about what kind of society we are, right? How do you, uh, how do you interact with, with, uh, with those who have no power? Uh, what, as, as somebody with power, what is your responsibility to them? 
uh, uh, is, I think, again, for me, an, an essential religious question. Uh, okay, so let's uh, we're, let's head into let's head into our text and uh, share my screen with all of you. So, um, so the text that uh, that that we just read, uh, I'll read it in the Hebrew for us. So, so, um, so in the Hebrew, the, the word ger is the word here for, uh, for stranger, uh, for somebody who's a sort of, uh, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll see it translated in, in uh, text as, as a resident alien. Uh, somebody who's from outside of the community that's now living within within your land, uh, and and again this commandment you know we find it here in in uh, Leviticus nineteen thirty three but you can find it many times uh, uh, certainly after the uh, exodus from Egypt uh, but even even before that in some ways implied by by the stories of of uh, Abraham Isaac and Jacob uh, so. Uh, when, uh, and it's interesting too, in the, in the Hebrew, the, the nouns and verbs are, um, get, get sort of, uh, um, verbally, uh, 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 connected. So, so it says, vayagur itcha, uh, when, when this person resides, gur, you can see the, this is a gimel and a resh, uh, when a person resides with you, the stranger, a ger, uh, so this is the noun form. This is the verbal form. So actually, being a stranger and, and residing in a place, those are 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 linguistically connected uh, in in the Hebrew. It's a, a an interesting uh, aspect of of the Hebrew language. Uh, you shall uh, you shall not wrong you shall not wrong that that person. You shall not wrong that person. The stranger uh, who resides with you shall be to you as one of your citizens. As one of your citizens, right? That that uh, that, and elsewhere, this is is explained even even further, right? That they should abide by, and you should treat them by the same set of laws that you treat uh, the citizens of of your your own people, your own country. Right? There shouldn't be a different set of laws for different people. There should just be one set of laws uh, for for all people, and that again is a I think a. a a profound spiritual idea uh, that um, that we should have an equality of of law, regardless of where one's from or the color of one's skin or one one's gender orientation or sexual orientation, whatever the case may be. That we all have, we all should exist under under one sort of equal uh, level uh, uh, set of laws. Uh, and then, of course, going on the hafta lo kamocha. Right, it's the same, the exact same uh, um, uh, phrasing as "love your neighbor uh, as yourself." But here, instead of uh, uh, instead of neighbor, it's it's the ger. Love the stranger as yourself. And I, I've heard a I heard a really beautiful teaching uh, one time. This this uh, as yourself is the translation of kamocha. Uh, but it's not, it's not the only way you can translate it. Uh, and uh, a rabbi, um, Rabbi Sharon Browse in, in Los Angeles, really amazing uh, scholar and, and wonderful rabbi. She, uh, in one of her sermons, I remember from many years ago, she said, 
She said, I understand that word kamocha is love this person because they are like you. They are like you, not so much as yourself. It's, it's sort of hard, in fact, right? Of course, to love other people or to feel the same way about another person as you do about yourself. Uh, but to recognize that this is another human being, that I think is a little bit easier to sort of get your head around. This is another human being, whether they look like you or speak the same language or have the same religion or, or whatever, right? This is another human being. Love them because they are like you. Because they are like you. Because we know, right, that uh, because you you all were, were strangers. You know this experience of being strangers in the land of Egypt. I am Adonai, your God. I am Adonai, your God. So that's the sort of, you know, basic idea that, that we, again, uh, hear, you know, 36 or more times throughout, throughout the, the five books of Moses. Let's um, move on, though, to uh, Jacob Milgram. Milgram was uh, one of the first uh, um, uh, Jewish scholars to, to write a, uh, an entire commentary on the book of Leviticus, uh, um, in, certainly in the modern era. Uh, Milgram um, is a conservative rabbi. It's a small C conservative. Uh, um, uh, so like I'm a reformed Jew, there's also conservative Jews. It's just a sort of different, uh, we call them movements in Judaism, but we all sort of respect each other as Jews. Uh, so Milgram writes, the Gare is a resident alien. He's uprooted himself or has been uprooted from his homeland. It has taken permanent residence in the land of Israel. Right. And that's another that's another important thing to mention. Right. That 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 to be intellectually honest about the text, the text is imagining the land of Israel. Right. It doesn't necessarily could argue that, well, it doesn't apply outside of the land of Israel. We tend to be, especially in the reform movement, much more universal about about the text and and would would say, you know, this is really about about um, uh, everywhere. Uh, having served his having severed his ties with his original home, he has no family to turn to for support, thus deprived of both land and family. He's generally poor, listed together with the Levite, the fatherless, and the widow among the wards of society and exposed to exploitation and oppression. Uh, a good sort of idea of what, of what we're talking about here in terms of, in terms of the person uh, who is the Gare. Um, by the way, uh, if there are questions, uh, um, uh, you should please um, uh, ask. Um, I think there maybe you can. We're gonna uh, make some people panelists. I don't know, but if there are questions that come up, please ask them either in the chat box or um, or uh, if you're if you're able to and uh, you know uh, audibly. Uh, so I wanted to look at another another uh, distantly related text, but I think that there's there's some some important ideas here that uh, that that for all of us to, to think about. And, and really, I think any sort of um, uh, this isn't just about the United States, right? Uh, migration uh, and 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 the stranger coming into one's midst, I think, is is certainly now something that that um, that so many countries are experiencing uh, along their borders. Right. We are in in a, a, a an incredible uh, time of migration in the world. Um, more so than than uh, than than we've had in in many decades. So I said that I'd explain a little bit more about the the Talmud. So the Talmud uh, is 
um, the uh, the place that 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 our sages, our rabbis, uh, went to um, to have a conversation with each other, and these are these are rabbis who who weren't necessarily alive at the same time either, right? Their their um, ideas um, are presented like they may be uh, contemporaries, but they're not necessarily contemporaries, and so the editors sort of uh, put them together in terms of um, uh, presenting a number of different ideas. The Talmud is made up of, of actually two texts. The first one's called the Mishnah. Uh, and the Mishnah was codified in the year 200. Uh, so nearly 2000 years old, that, that text, uh, uh, as in terms of codification. Although the texts that were, that were brought together to form the Mishnah, they were written over about a 400 year period. So 200, as we say, BCE, before common era and 200 CE. That's when the, the texts of the Mishnah were written, finally brought together in the year 200. The commentary, then the, the sages go and they comment on the Mishnah. That's called the Gemara. And we're going to be reading a little bit of both uh, right now. The Gemara was, um, was, was followed up just after the Mishnah was, was codified again in the year 200 till around the year 600-ish or so. Uh, and then we get a sort of you know, this is what the Talmud is, and this was this is what gets reprinted in uh, uh, by the by the um, uh, producers of the Talmud. So, uh, so it's sort of now it's it sort of stays stable, um, uh, and there aren't new voices necessarily added to to a a printing of the Talmud. Can and anybody else uh, give me give me um, you know warning about times by the way, because you know I get I can just keep talking sometimes. <laughs> So, so let's, so this is from, it's called Tractate Baba Batra, uh, and uh, let's, let's read this together. I, another sort of interesting note too, by the way, the Gemara in particular is actually written in Aramaic, uh, most of it. Uh, the Mishnah usually in a rabbinic Hebrew, the Gemara in Aramaic, because that was, that was the uh, colloquial language at the time. So, um, so here we're talking about a courtyard. Uh, in, in ancient Israel uh, and, and around uh, the Near East, oftentimes people would build homes, sort of like imagine an apartment building with an inner courtyard uh, where you'd have a number of families uh, all sort of congregating together, uh, houses and rooms abutting each other with an inner courtyard where there may be, uh, you know, an oven to uh, for, for communal baking and sort of other sort of, you know, communal needs within the courtyard. So that's that's what they're talking about here. The residents of, of a courtyard can compel each inhabitant of that courtyard to financially participate in the building of a gatehouse and a door to the jointly owned courtyard. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel disagrees and says, not all courtyards require a gatehouse. And each courtyard must be considered on its own in accordance with its specific needs. Similarly, the residents of a city can compel each inhabitant of that city to contribute to the building of a wall, double doors, and a crossbar for the city. Rabban Shimon Gamliel disagrees and says, not all towns require a wall. With regard to this latter obligation, the Mishnah asks, how long must one live in the city to be considered like one of the people of the city and therefore obligated to contribute to these expenses, right? So, so it's a, it, I think on, on its own, right, an interesting question, right? Uh, you know, what does it mean to be a part of a community? Uh, and can, can a community comp compel uh, individuals within that community to participate uh, in especially financial 
uh, obligation to the community. And of course, you know, we've we've decided, I think, as a society, yes, uh, um, uh, that is something uh, that 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 most people, all people, agree to, to to some degree or another. Right? We we have disagreements about how much. But to some degree or another, we understand that to, to live together means that we have to all contribute to, to some things. Uh, and so here they're having this question about, you know, can we lock the doors, essentially? Can we make a, a, um, uh, a gate to lock, to lock the doors? Uh, and when, when, you know, does a person, uh, is a person obligated to, to participate? And so they have this conversation uh, um, uh, that the answer is 12 months. But if uh, he brought himself a res. If he bought himself a residency in the city, uh, he's immediately considered like one of the people of the city, right? So if you're renting, okay, or if you're like a guest, if you're staying a long time, then you still have to contribute. If you buy, if you purchase a home, if, right, then you're, you know, it's like that. You're you're immediately uh, obligated to. And that's their initial conversation from again two thousand years ago. Then we get the commentary, and here's here's where um, I think this is going to apply. Uh, to to our broader conversation. The Gemara asks, is this to say that making a gatehouse is beneficial? But wasn't there, and now they're going to bring up a sort of story that there, you know, was probably a known story at the time, but uh, obviously will be new to us here. Wasn't there uh, that pious man with whom the prophet Elijah was accustomed to speak, who built a gatehouse and afterward Elijah did not speak with him again? Now, I imagine probably many of you know Elijah is one of the um, one of the few people in the Hebrew Bible that never dies. Elijah, uh, uh, we read, uh, was taken up to heaven, uh, right? But it doesn't actually say that Elijah died. And so, uh, in the rabbinic tradition, and I actually don't know to what degree uh, this is true within Christianity. Um, uh, but in the rabbinic tradition, Elijah becomes the sort of I, uh, idea of, uh, of one being the sort of um, uh, Elijah will lead in the Messiah uh, when the Messiah arrives uh, in Judaism. In Judaism, the Messiah has not arrived yet. Uh, um, a little difference between our traditions. And, um, and Elijah will, uh, will, will lead in the Messiah uh, into Jerusalem, they, they say. But Elijah also plays this sort of role of sort of checking up on, um, on us uh, and, and seeing, you know, are we ready for, for the Messiah to come? And, uh, and Elijah, you know, there's lots of different stories about Elijah and, and he becomes this sort of folklorish uh, character in the Jewish tradition, but, but um, uh, is found throughout, uh, uh, throughout, you know, Judaism today and at Passover Seders and at the, the brisses of, of, uh, of children and namings of, of children, um, Elijah comes and and is sort of with us at that at that moment. It's an interesting character in and of himself. But here, this story, right? There's this pious guy. Elijah would go and talk to him all the time, and then he built a gatehouse, and then Elijah never came again. What's going on? What gives? The Gemara says. The objection to the building of the gatehouse is that the guard who mans it prevents the poor from entering and asking for charity. The Gemara answers: This is not difficult. This, the case presented in the Mishnah, is referring to a gatehouse built on the inside of the courtyard, in which case the poor can at least reach the courtyard's entrance and be heard inside that courtyard. That, that the story of the pious man Elijah, involves a gatehouse that was built on the outside of the courtyard, blocking the poor's access to the courtyard's entrance. 
Okay, so what's what's the Gemara getting at here? Where, what's the commentary getting at? It's not saying to us, you can't protect yourself. You can, you can protect it. You can protect yourself. That's totally understandable that, that a group of people would want to have some kind of border between themselves and other people. They don't want their homes to be open all the time to anybody. We, have, we want our private space. We want to feel secure in the place where we live. That's completely understandable. But the question is, where does your gate reside? You know, right now, uh, and, and shame on, on and I'm going to get political here, shame on this administration uh, for, maintaining, uh, for maintaining and not finding a way to end the Remain in Mexico policies of the Trump administration, for not finding a way to end Title 42 uh, that has been expelling, expelling uh, migrants uh, from our country back to Mexico or potentially back to whatever country they came from, they have created and may have maintained a gate that is well outside the entrances to our courtyards. So much so that we can't even hear the plea anymore of, uh, of the person asking for refuge. Uh, that is, um, you know, as far as uh, as far as this this Talmud uh, section is concerned, deeply problematic. Do we build walls around ourselves that are so high, that are so well locked that we can't hear the plea of people who are in need? When we do that, this mission is telling us. This Gemara is telling us. When we do that. We've lost connection with the possibility of redemption. Elijah, right? This, this guy who's, who's the reminding us of redemption to come. Uh, he's not going to come anymore to remind us when we've blocked ourselves off so much from the pain and the suffering and the uh, and, and and of other human beings. Uh, are there other questions or thoughts or? Josh, um, yeah. Ken, Ken here. I'm, we've, we're getting a lot of chat, uh, and this is great. We probably have like uh, three minutes left okay. in, in our time. Uh, but uh, Marcia said, uh, "Might the gates be on our hearts as well?" What do you think about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, of course. I, I think that's I think that's totally right. Um, they are on our on our hearts, uh, and and they're and they're and they're not just metaphoric, right? I, I think that's important to remember that that this isn't only a metaphor we're talking about here. This is real, right? Where people cannot even raise their voices to let us know what they need. And why they need it. This is this is this is a real issue that is at play and has been at play in our in our country for decades, right? I, I got involved because you know I was riled up by by the past administration. But I, what I came to learn and is is just the 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 extent to which we have been willing to push people to die, to really to really make sure they die. 
uh, rather than, than, than enter our country, right? Extending, uh, extending these, these walls, these gates to places where the only way that somebody can cross is in the deepest part of the desert where their likelihood of making it here, and this is by design, the likelihood of making it into the United States to any inhabitable place is so small. And we know that, and we designed it that way. This is more than, than a metaphor on our hearts. And I think it's an important and beautiful metaphor and important for us to remember personally. And it is an issue that we can act on. Thank you. This is great. Um, we also had a request and, and we should probably close now, but um, we had a request for the, um, for the material that you're putting on the screen. Sure. If you could email that to me, Ken at a2blue.org. And then anyone who wants a copy of that, I can uh, just send me an email and I'll send it off to you because that was so, so helpful. And I, I wonder if, if anyone on our panel wants to just lead us in a prayer in response to this uh, good word we've received from Rabbi Josh. I just called on Caroline. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. And thank you, Rabbi Josh. I mean, this is, is so moving and, and it's so important. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to open our ears and hear and study the text and hear the word and know what, what, um, what you want us to hear about opening our hearts and loving others. And I love how you put it as ourself, but as that that other person is me and that I can see myself in that person because that person is human. And Lord, I just thank you for, for um, this word today, teaching us about where do we put our gates and are our gates in a place where we can hear people or are the gates that they close our ears from even hearing the outcry. And I pray Lord that we enact this both in our hearts as a metaphor and also in reality, in the practice practices of our cities and our in our nation from within our borders and outside our borders lord please help us to move the gate so that we can hear the outcry of the stranger or the gare that is among us thank you thank you for this time and we praise your name amen